So this morning, I want to <coughs> look at something for us as a site, uh, for us as part of the church, Church Central, that kind of from a vision side for us at the beginning of the year. It's not going to be specific in terms of here's what we as a site are going to go for, um, but it is nonetheless our vision, nonetheless what we as a site want to be believing for, uh, things that I think are really, really important in terms of everything that I refer to in my intro just now um, that we are facing in the world. Regardless of your, um, your take on last year, there's no doubt that uncertainty would be a word people would use. Politically, people would say that. Uh, huge kind of shockwaves, supposedly, both in terms of uh, the vote for Brexit, um, if it ever happens, um, or I knew I couldn't resist getting political if I did this intro, sorry. Um, and uh, the whole thing, everything that happened in America, whatever your take is on that, um, and just to say God is working through these things. It's interesting, some of the articles and things which are being published now uh, by people who traditionally would have written against kind of faith issues um, and people who are now saying, hang on, what took us this way in terms of philosophy, political beliefs, um, this needs addressing. So even though there are people who wouldn't be saying, oh, Jesus is the answer, there are numbers of people now saying, hang on a minute, th- there's something's wrong. Um, we need to uh, address this. So as ever, when we see things that seem to take us further away as believers from what we believe God's vision is, God uses it to speak. God uses it actually to shake, as he says in Hebrews, to shake the nations. So people begin to think, hang on, this is going wrong. We're making a mess. How did we end up here? Um, Uncertainty financially, um, that's true. That was true before we took our vote uh, in terms uh, terms of Europe. Um, But it's true um, for all kinds of reasons prior to that. Uh, In terms of war, um, in terms of terrorism, um, and even the killings this week in Florida. Um, Uncertainty. Uh, Is it new? I think the world has always felt like this. Those of us who have been around for a while um, know the expression, nothing new under the sun when it comes to uncertainty. There were certainly issues back in the 60s and 70s. I can't quite remember back to the 60s. I was there, but... Um, very, very little. Um, I was little once, honest. Um, but certainly through the 70s and 80s, some of the things that were going on, um, uncertainty's always been there. So in that sense, what we're going to look at today um, isn't anything new, but that's the point. In terms of God, his rule and his reign, there is no uncertainty. But what should be some of the things we should stand on being a church uh, at this time? What are some of the things that we should be believing for, taking confidence for? What are some of the things that we as a church, we as a site, as part of Church Central, should be valuing and saying, hang on, this is our vision. This is what we're going for. This is what we want in the middle of all of this. And I thought, well, there's no better place to look, really, in terms of the Apostle Paul. What did Paul want of his churches? Um, And we're going to read what he prayed for the churches in Ephesus in Ephesians 3. If we can put the reading up. I'm not going to read it straight now, but so you can see where it is. Um, give you a bit more background to this passage. This is a prayer of Paul. Paul's praying for the church. um, And his heart comes through in this prayer. And you think there's nothing better than someone like Paul, who actually, as I'll refer to briefly in a moment, was living in times just as uncertain as we are. um, And we can forget that. What was his vision for a community of believers in a big city? What was his vision? What was his heart? What would he pray? What would he say? Hey, church, I'm not with you anymore, but here's what I'm praying for you. Here's some things that are on my heart for you 
as a church. Ephesus, some commentators would put it as a population of uh, 500,000, half a million, certainly a very significant city at that time. It was a big trade port, so all kinds of multicultural issues um, that were going on. In fact, some of Paul's other letters, which would overlap with the areas that this letter went to, um, deal with cultural issues. There were cultural tensions in the church. So in terms of multiculturalism, Ephesus was it. It wasn't monocultural. All kinds of people went through there. Um, Roman Empire, in terms of uncertainty... Um, until a bigger army came along, you knew you were going to be ruled by Caesar, but it wasn't a kind of a helpful, peaceful certainty. At any time, the oppressor could do what he wanted. At any time, he could put your taxes up. At any time, an attack or a threat could come, especially to a place like Ephesus, which was a port, and therefore more open to attack in terms of ships and, uh, and others coming in. It wasn't a time of certainty. We tend to forget this. We can read Scripture thinking, oh, it's about Jesus, it's about the church, it's about God, um, separating it out of what it was written in, which was a big social context, just as diverse, just as complex as what you and I are living in today. Same questions, different answers, different situations, but same issues going on. Ephesus was the center of worship um, for the sex goddess. And he worshipped the sex goddess by going to the temple, paying money and sleeping with a prostitute. That's how it worked. Imagine being in a city where that is part of the city's characteristic, part of why the city exists and part of what goes on. If that went on in the temple, what do you think went on in people's homes? If that went on in the temple, what do you think the values were in society? Imagine trying to raise your family and in terms of believing in gods, one of the goddesses, well one of the gods was Caesar and you called him Lord which is relevant to what we're going to look at in a few moments. Then there's a goddess to go along with the god from a different group of beliefs, which was a sex goddess. Imagine trying to raise your kids in that. Imagine the conversations you're going to be having. What does manhood look like? Well, go to the temple as soon as you can when you're a man. And do what? Well, I don't need to finish the sentence, do I? That's what families were raising their kids in. Paul arrives, Acts 19, you can read the story, not time this morning, phenomenal story. He arrives right into this vibrant, multicultural city with all kinds of worship going on. And he finds a small group of people, he talks to them about Jesus, um, who they'd kind of heard of but didn't know fully. He lays hands on them, prays for them, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He baptizes them, he then starts teaching in a public place during the heat of the day, Luke tells us who wrote Acts, it was a phenomenal, miracles were done, even Paul's sweaty, dirty cloths were taken to heal the sick. Now that's worth sticking on YouTube, tweeting about and fake. Can you imagine that story? I was lying in bed sick and my son bought me a sweaty cloth. As I was about to vomit, the sickness lost my body, I jumped out of bed and said, where did you get that cloth from? Oh, it's this bloke down in the big hall, he's teaching. I need to go and hear him. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, imagine that. If that happened today, if I stood up and say, oh, friends of ours over Christmas, sweaty cloth, blah, 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 visiting ministry, you'd laugh. You'd think, oh, really? Come on, let's get some doctor's reports. Let's get this verified. That's what was going, extraordinary miracles. Demons being cast out. So much so that some Jews decided they'd have a go at this. It's such a funny story. So they go to someone's house to try and deliver someone from demonic oppression. And the person turns round and says, well, I've heard of Jesus and I've heard of Paul. I've got no idea who you are. Jumped on them and they ran away naked. Which is shocking and also funny. They try to imitate this without the belief, without faith. Try to think, well, if, if, if Paul can do this, 
this name of Jesus, we'll go to someone who we know who's oppressed, who's got all kinds of issues, and we'll say, in the name of Jesus, you should be better. The person turns around and says, I've got no idea who you are. Get out of my house. Chase them down the street. Right? The whole city ended up being in uproar. So the silversmiths who made um, statues and pendants and charms uh, to ward off evil spirits and for worship of some of the other gods, they cause a riot. They say, we're, we're losing business. It was that kind of environment that this prayer is into. There's more I could say. I've taken too long on the background. But just trying to set the scene. Because so often we read scripture kind of almost in a devotional way, separating it from the real life stuff that Paul's writing into. So this morning, in the light of political turmoil, in the light of whatever last year was for you, whatever you're looking for um, heading into this year, we could read this prayer and think, oh, that's lovely. It's all about Jesus. It's all about love. That does me good. Real world tomorrow. Just hope I can remember a bit of this love. No, this prayer is for the real world. This prayer is right into political, social, economic situations. Right into stuff that you and I are facing and living with. This isn't just a prayer for a Sunday morning or a prayer for something we pray in our own devotion times. This is right into that. That's what Paul's writing to, to a church in that situation. who's been born in phenomenal time of God's power and God working. And Paul's writing back. And you think, what's he going to write back? And just to say, it's not one church, it was churches right across that area. And this letter would have gone to groups in the city, but also towns and villages, um, because the gospel went wider than Ephesus. You see that in the book of uh, Acts, where people heard Paul and then went back to their families, their towns. And the gospel spread right across that area. And that's what Paul's writing to to people right across that whole area and district. So let's read this. So this is Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. Now you put this into the political, economic, social, pagan worship that was going on, then it has even greater significance. It's great to read it devotionally. Stirs us. Some rich phrases. I'm not going to do it justice this morning. There's not time, especially considering how long I've taken over this introduction. It's a rich, rich prayer. (coughs) But we mustn't simply read it as a personal, devotional prayer for me. Firstly, it's written to churches. It's not just an individualistic prayer. Paul's saying, I'm praying this for the church. I'm praying this for Church Central. I'm praying this for this site. Of course it has individual application. But it's not simply an individualistic prayer to bless you. This is what Paul wants for the church. This is what Paul wants for us. This is God's plan, God's vision for the church in terms of rooted in love, in terms of strength, all of those things we're going to look at in a moment, phrase by phrase. So don't read it simply uh, personally. It's for us. It's a corporate prayer. Not simply devotional, as in separate from everything else that's going on, but read it right into that. (coughs) I need to remember, 
<coughs> that for people in the East, and definitely at that time, there's no kind of sacred, spiritual, and then the rest of life, which is what we do here and, and have done for a couple of centuries. So you've got the God bit, you've got the spiritual bit, there's kind of the sacred, and then there's the secular. There's the world, there's life. And we kind of separate that. And even some of you, even as I say, sort of think, hang on, what do you mean? I don't kind of understand quite. I've not realized that, or I don't look at it that way. But it's what we do. And so God kind of blessing us, in terms of reading a prayer like this, God blessing me personally, but we have to work hard to join that up with what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, or what my boss is saying, or the situations I'm facing at school or college or uni. Now, in the East, it's the whole thing. That's how they see the world. It's everything. It's, it's the whole kind of, they put everything together. It's holistic. They don't compartmentalize it in the way that we do. Oh, spiritually I'm doing all right. Physically I'm not so good. Or, yeah, I've had quite a good week. I feel quite refreshed. Had good rest over Christmas. Feel a bit distant from God. That, we can separate those things out. Does that make some sense? Whereas in the East, they don't separate. It's the whole thing. It's all of life together. And when it comes to reading Scripture we can, like I said, separate it from the rest of life without meaning to and take it in a personal, kind of devotional way that does us good, not realizing it has huge implications for what's going on in the world around us. There's big political statements in this. Just the fact that Jesus is Lord, although he doesn't use that phrase here, the fact he calls Jesus the Christ means he's the one from God who is Lord, the anointed one, the one who's come to rule, is a massive political statement. Because Caesar's Lord... But Paul is saying, I want you to know Christ. I want you to know the Lord. Politically, he's not the one in charge. That's what Paul is saying. Politically, it's Christ. He's using Jesus' title. As you've heard me say before, Christ wasn't Jesus' second name. It was his title. It's not what he put on his profile on Facebook (coughs) as his second name. It It was his title of the one sent from God who's going to rule and reign, the anointed one, the chosen one. And the one, as we'll see, who is now over all of these powers. So when Paul says Christ, we think, oh yeah, Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ over all the powers, ruling and reigning. So we separate out into the secular and the sacred, into the Bible, which we know is relevant for life, but relevant if you believe it. Now the Bible's relevant for life whether you believe it or not. Because it engages all of life, all issues, economics, society, politics, relationships, all issues are there. Whether you believe it or not, the science, the, the, believe in the Bible or not, it is a political book, it is an economic book, it covers all of life. And that's how we should read it. And we need to read this <coughs> in the context of everything Paul has said before. Because Paul says, for this reason... Hang on, Paul, what reason? So if we put the chapter one summary up, I'm not going to go through all of this, it's not time. Just some words that come through chapter one. And if you know Jesus and are familiar with uh, our worship and, and what we celebrate, then these words will mean things to you. So in Christ, it's a big thing that Paul is saying in chapter one, that we're now in him, in his family. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. And Paul unpacks that. There's not time for me to do that this morning. That means blessing. Paul talks about us being chosen. It's not just an accident. It's not just something we've done. God did it. Chose you. Adopted. Brought you right into the family. Full rights. You're included. None of you got to know Jesus or get included in what God is doing by kind of tripping up and finding yourself there. And God looking and thinking, oh, they're here. Oh, okay, that's all right. I love everybody. 
didn't they? They were getting in. Anyway, they're in. Now, God chose, adopted, brought you right in. Rich language, the riches of grace, Paul talks about. Talks about for his praise, for his glory. Redemption, another word for salvation. Inheritance, there's stuff in the future which is coming. Thanksgiving for all of that. Paul prays again for the church at the beginning in chapter 1. And he talks about hope, talks about the power of God that raised Jesus to life is working in us. Talks about the victory of Christ, that he's now been raised from the dead and the victory is over the powers and he's now ruling and reigning over every single power so he has total authority for the church. That's what Paul says in chapter 1. It's important that we know this if we're going to understand this prayer, which I promise we're going to get to 15 minutes in and I'm still not there. But this introduction makes it. If we don't get this, we just read it as a nice, pious, personal prayer for us. Paul's praying something much, much bigger. Because this Christ has total authority. Not the American president, not some politicians, not economics, not the UN, not various terrorist groups or religious groups. Christ is ruling and reigning. Chapter 2, put that one up. Then he talks about what God's rescued us from. It's not such a happy passage, this. You have to face it. It uses words that aren't socially or culturally acceptable these days. It talks about us being dead. Sin, rebellion against God. Disobedient. It talks about how that incurs God's wrath. Something we, people don't like us talking about these, God, these days. It's all meant to be about God's love. Whereas we've seen already in that reading, chapter 3, it is all about God's love. That's the point. And that's why there's wrath, because God's angry at the injustice and the sinfulness and the deadness that there is in the world, because he didn't make it like that. Talks about our selfish passions, and then this great phrase, but God. So that's the world, that's where you and I are, that's what's going on, dead, selfish passions, disobedience, and then, but God. And then it turns, his mercy, his great love makes us alive, salvation again, grace. We get to be included in the promises. One new man, in other words, there's a new humanity. You and I aren't just improved with Jesus, we're made totally new, completely new creations now. God's doing, that's what the church is. This isn't just the religious bit of Birmingham, and if you go in lots of other buildings today on a Sunday, you'll find other religious bits. No, those who put their faith in Jesus, I mean, there's a new humanity It's a new creation. There's not time to open all of that up, but it is important for understanding the prayer. God has made you new before all this evil stuff was in charge, but in order to get you rescued, saved, delivered from the evil stuff, he's done something in here. So if you could open it up with a spiritual lens, you'd see there's something which wasn't there before. Totally new. The language Paul uses is the same as the language of Genesis 1, creation. God has created. When God created Adam, he's now created you. This is something new. The church is that new creation. Which is also family. It's also a place of peace. We're being built together. This is where God now lives. Which, the more you dwell on that and meditate on that phrase, that is phenomenal. I mean, look at us. Still trying to get into the new year. Still trying to catch up after Christmas. Some, that's just me. I, the rest of you, I'm sure, are far more organized and there and ready to go and bring on the next year. Now I found some of you out. You're not, are you? You wanted to believe that for a moment, but you realized, I could see it in your eyes, you weren't really convinced. God lives here. That's what this is. God lives here. 
This God who is ruling and reigning in Christ over all the powers, all the authorities, who has conquered everything, lives here. We could finish there in terms of what's our vision. What are we here for? What's West Site here for? Why is this church meeting in different sites? What is our vision? Because we want a home here in this part of Birmingham for God. This is where God lives. This God who is ruling and reigning over all the powers, over all the economics, over everything that's going on that's opposed to him. He's in charge. He's working it out. No one can stand against him. That's the point of of Ephesians 1. Ruling and reigning over everything for us. He's in charge. And he lives here. (coughs) Excuse me. This is his address. And it's for all of this. Excuse me. (coughs) Drink. Coffee, just in case. So we see. Did he say drink? What's he drinking? <coughs> so Paul says, for all of this, for what Jesus has done in conquering the powers, for the fact that he has rescued you, for the fact that he's making a new family, for the fact that he lives here, for this reason, here's why I pray. That's why it took so long after the intro. For the reasons of what society's like. There's a sex goddess down the road. There's a dictator. Just raise your taxes when he likes. Just can call you into slavery if he wants to. You're living in all of that. Well, here's why. Because of death, because of selfishness, because of disobedience. That's what's gone on. But God has rescued you from that and has brought you into a new family, a new community. That's what you are. Regardless of whether you get on with anyone or not, you're now family, which is kind of how lots of families work isn't it it's not about getting on it's we're family therefore we make it work from there Paul says your family God's household and because he now lives here here's what I want to pray for you so let's look at the prayer in the time I've got left oh dear look at each phrase we put the first verse 14 up through to 17 so what are some of the things he prays I'm not going to read it again you can see it on the screen Firstly, Paul references in the prayer the supremacy of God. Every family in heaven on earth is from him. That's what he means by that phrase. It doesn't mean that every person <coughs> is part of God's family, whether they know him or not. It simply says it's all from him. Everything is from God. All peoples are all from him. They wouldn't be here without him. We need to understand that the phrase Father, although increasingly in the last few years we've brought through the kind of intimacy side of that you can call father god is our father you can call him daddy and there's truth in that as ever there's a danger in going too far down one emphasis because father in passages like this isn't about the intimacy it's about the supremacy and that's very very different and it actually makes the intimacy thing even more amazing that he's your father too and you can know him personally But here it means supremacy. Everything has come from him. And what does Paul want for us? Wants us to be strengthened with power. Now what's the power? Going back to my brief summary of Ephesians 1, it's the power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that's working in you. How's that for vision for 2017? As you head into stuff this year, as if there's political turmoil, all kinds of stuff that can be going on at work. Where's your confidence? Where's your hope? Where are you going to get your strength from? Not from you. That's why you get tired. 
That's why I get tired. Grit our teeth. Come on, we can do this. Oh, 24 hours later, I'm pretty done in actually. I can't do it. Or a week or whatever else. Now the strength comes from the power of, of God through his Holy Spirit working in you. The same power which poured Jesus from the curse of death over all the powers and raised him to life again. That power's working in you. Sitting at your desk at school, studying, wishing you weren't. The power of Jesus is working in you. Unfortunately, he doesn't always answer physics exams, so I found out. But his power's still there. When you feel you're not doing very good, or you're trying to make some budgets balance at work, I think mean, there's no way this is going to balance. Fear can come, uncertainty can come. It's not like Jesus could suddenly deposit 200,000 in the bank to make it balance. But in terms of the emotion, the feeling, the oppression, the no escape, now the power of Jesus is working in you. That's what Paul prays for us. That's what the church is meant to be. The place where the power of God is working and that we get to know that. And notice this, the phrase, in your inner being, deep inside, in terms of what makes us tick, what sustains us, what keeps us going each day. Not something temporary. Not that we have an encounter with the, oh, hopefully there'll be a prophetic word at church. It will be for me. Someone will pray for me. I'll know God's presence and I'll feel better. And that will keep me going for a couple of days. Which tragically is what I, I think I see happening more and more in kind of charismatic prophetic churches. Is we live for the encounter. Now it's wonderful that we've recovered that. Because I grew up in the kind of church where we knew God was all-powerful, we knew he was almighty, we knew he loved us, but he was a million miles away, and anything he had to do with us personally didn't really happen, unless you were the vicar at the front. We just had to listen to stuff we were told. So recovering the sense of God loves me, God wants to meet with me, the Holy Spirit's been given to me, I can encounter him personally at home, not just in a meeting, is profound and wonderful, and it's the whole point. God wants to live with us, and us means us as individuals and us in community. But the danger is we take it to the other extreme, whereas, oh, I need an encounter, I need a prophetic word, I need something that will keep me going. No, Jesus has given you everything you need to keep you going. In your inner being, you have the strength and the power of resurrection power that raised Jesus to life in your inner being. And that's what Paul's praying for. Strengthen deep in here. Not just a surface thing which is beautiful and wonderful and touches your heart, but in two or three days is gone and you're desperate for another encounter. Does that make some sense? Of course we need those. Knowing the presence of God here means our vision for this as a site, as we know, is we want to pray for one another. We don't just want to work through a program of preaching and singing certain songs. If the Holy Spirit's working, we want to give room for that so that we can encounter him and know him. Yes, if you're talking about vision for 2017, that's not changing. We still want that. We want more of that because that's part of what Paul is talking about. We're a dwelling place for God. Therefore, we want this to meeting God can do what he likes, not what we want. But what we're living from is strength deep in here. And it's yours. Jesus has done it. This is his work. You don't have to attain to this, reach for it, know certain Bible verses, or live a certain way. Jesus has done it, that you can be strengthened. So, when it comes to vision when it comes to what we want as a site 
We don't want to be ruled by fear. We want this to be a place where courage can come, where we can strengthen one another, encourage one another through his word, through how we sing, through prophetic words. A place, this is what Paul is praying, that you would be strengthened. That's what our worship is for, that you'd know his strength through the word, giving you stuff in the week that isn't simply a personal devotional thing, but it gives you strength to face everything that you're facing. Paul says how? Through Christ. He lives in you. He's taken up residence. It's his home. Christ in you. Notice the word Christ, everything I referenced earlier. Not Jesus' second name, but the all-victorious Messiah, anointed one, lives in you. Could stay there for the rest of the morning, but I want to finish the prayer. That's stunning. And again, so much teaching in some of our kind of churches in terms of the prophetic and encounters. There's something to reach for. There's more to be taken hold of if you've not got this. So many things I saw on social media this year. This is the year of restoration. This is the year of God giving back. This is the year of breakthrough. Well, I thought 2016 was that. So do we need some more? Yes, I'm being cynical. I'll be honest. But you do, hang on a minute. What about what Christ has done and the fact that he is living in us? Because if Christ is living in us, what needs restoring? We have everything. Does that make sense? Now, Paul's praying this because he wants the church to know the fullness. So, of course, we should be reaching for more. Of course, we should be saying, I want to know the truth of what this what this fully means. Of course I want this working in my family. Of course I want this working in my colleagues. Of course there's more. But as you've heard me say before, we reach for the more from the place of living in what has already been achieved. And so often with some of this prophetic stuff, there can be a sense of, oh I'm broken, Uh, it hasn't happened, or this isn't there and, and I've got to reach for it or hope that God encounters me. No, Jesus has done it. He's living in you. No one more perfect, more beautiful, more loving, more holy, more patient, more kind than Christ. No one more conquering and more powerful. No one more tender and more gentle than Christ. No one more powerful. No one with more authority. No one who the enemy, there's no one else who the enemy cowers at than Christ. And Christ is in you. That's what we live in. That's what this is. That's the glory of the church. That's why Paul is praying. I'm praying this for you, so that Christ may dwell in you, the church, so that Christ can be found here. It's a different vision than our needs being met, our preferences being met, our taste in worship being met, how we want a meeting to run being met. No, it's that Christ lives here. And this Christ is the victorious one who's ruling and reigning. Do you know there's no stuff that you'll face this year where Christ isn't enough? I want this to be a place of encouragement. I want this to be a place where people are encouraged by one another and love and community and all of that. But it's not our first source. Our first source is Christ. And when you're on your own, Christ is there with you. There's nothing you will walk through where you're on your own. You may feel no one else here understands. That will happen. I'm sorry, it will. Why can I say that? Because I have times like that. That's not a moan about you. It's not what I'm talking about. 
but in terms of situations that I've seen or situations, sometimes stuff overseas, and I'm, and I'm thinking, how can we, what's the answer? Look, this is deeply, deeply difficult. And of course, I know if I was to share it, people would be encouraging or want to be, but in terms of really getting it, I don't expect people to. You haven't been there. Others have. This is an on the, off-the-cuff illustration. I hope it's working. You know, there's stuff we encounter where others can say an encouraging thing or, and it's helpful, but in the end, it has to be knowing that Christ in us is the source. Does that make sense? So you will face things. I feel God is really on this, actually. Just notice a couple of situations from the front. Just aware of people's situations. You will feel lonely. You will think, I know people at church are trying to help, but I don't feel they really understand. That doesn't mean we're broken. It means we're meant to draw on Christ. Of course, it's our vision to be more understanding in that way. and do it. Yeah, of course it is. But have you seen how busy we all are? Have you seen how hard we're running to try and keep up with life? I mean, some of you are here in terms of shifts and in terms of work you've got on the moment. It's a real sacrifice to carve this time out. I get that. And then to ask you to find time to get alongside so-and-so, where it's not going to be a quick five-minute phone call, it's going to be a few hours to really understand, oh, I'd love that. Because elders aren't meant to do all the running. If we were, we'd need a lot of them. It's true. And how broken our society is and everything else. Of course I want a community that does that. But what Paul prays is that you would know Christ. And from that place flows the community. Does that make some sense? This is taking far too long. Let's look at the next section. Probably one of my favorite verses, passages in the New Testament. This is what Paul is praying for. It's all about love. Not a human love, not a love which is fleeting and passing, but a life-giving, heart-satisfying love which is consistent and deep and wide and broad. It really is all about love. Paul says, this is my prayer. You being rooted and established. Rooted, roots. It's where a tree, plant, gets life from. It's how it's fruitful. Because what it's getting its nutrients from. That's, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to have life, it's from this love. What are you rooted in this year? What are we rooted in as a church? What are we going? Are we going to be looking for the next experience or the next strategy or a deeper level of friendship or fun or, or more prophetic? What, what are we rooted in? What are we looking for our life from? I tell you, there's so much stuff out there that churches can be rooted in. You've got to go for more of the Holy Spirit. You've got to go for more prophetic encounter. You've got to go for more breakthrough. You've got to go for more claiming the promises. You've got to go for more social action. You've got to go for more justice. You've got to go for more word and expository preaching. You've got to go for more this, more that, more that. No, Paul is pretty clear. Where you get your life from, where you get roots, where you get your energy from, where you get fruitfulness from, effectiveness from, is being rooted in the love of Christ and the love of God. That's where it comes. There isn't anything else. There's no other secrets, keys, strategies. There isn't any other vision. That we as a group of people, as mixed up as we are in terms of our different backgrounds and our different upbringings and our different passions for sport, music or anything else, 
goodness, if we went round the room and said, favourite Christmas film, we'd take a long time. And a few of us would agree, but lots of us wouldn't. And a few of us would want to say, just putting my hands on the table here, why Christmas film? They're all rubbish. I think this film, or whatever else. See? Right there, okay? (laughs) I knew I would provoke Heather just there. They're all lovely. Heather hasn't got a favourite. It's just all of them. But just in, just in fun, you just see the differences. What, what kind of community is this? It's a community rooted in love. The love that God has for us. Grounded, strength, foundation, solid. Something which comes at you. No, I'm grounded. Oh, it's really difficult at work right now. Or really finding it hard, getting time. Life groups, forget it. I haven't got time at the moment. Kind of feeling a bit on the edge, a bit distant. Where's the love coming from? I'm gra- hang on, but I'm grounded in something. I've got my feet in something here and there's life coming because it's the love from God. Now, of course, that love needs to flow from here if I'm grounded, if I'm rooted from here to here and to here and to here and to here. That's Paul's point. That's what he's wanting, a community rooted and grounded in love. The love doesn't just stay in here. That's not love. That's something else, personal fulfillment. In terms of just knowing the Father and knowing the Father's love for me, no, love doesn't do it. Love always overflows. Love always spills over. Love always crosses barriers. Love always goes to those who aren't like us. And the church is a unique community because it's rooted in something that the world doesn't know which enables us to be community, which enables us to sit in a room together. We're not in the room because we all like the same songs. At least I hope not. Because when it comes to music, worship is bland. When it comes to praising God, it's wonderful. Hear me out. Don't start tweeting, Elder at Church Central says worship is bland. Why does he come? Hashtag confused. <laughs> no, it's not what I said musically. We're just here for the music, no reflection on our talented musicians. Have you got me, Dave? Are you okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> musically, we wouldn't be here. Why are we here? Because we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. What's Paul's prayer? that you know how encompassing this is. I wish I, I haven't got time. The depth, the breadth, the height. I mean, Paul is pausing here. This, the whole Ephesians is so, so dense. But he's opening up something here, lingering. I want you to know how deep this is, church. I want you to know how wide this is. I want you to know how high this is. This is my prayer. How's that for a vision for 2017? That we know the breadth of God's love. And that love isn't simply a feel-good, oh, God loves me, whoopee. I feel a bit better Monday morning. No, it's a love that sent Christ to the cross that laid his life down so that he could be raised and conquering all the powers. It's a love that gives us security over all the uncertainty of politics and economics. It's a love which is a comfort, but it's a love which is also a strength and a love which shows the world there is a different way. That's why Paul is praying this. Because if the church is getting its life and its security and its peace and its strength from the love of God, nothing can stand against it and that love will flow out into the broken around us, into the needy around us, into your workplaces. Oh yeah, some of you, they'll throw it back and they won't want it. But it's still flowing out there. And this broken world doesn't need a judgment from God or a declaration of what it's doing wrong. It needs to know that God has broken those things 
and that there is a love which is deeper and richer than anything else that the world is giving itself to. This is why Paul prays this. <coughs> I need to be landing this soon. Read this uh, yesterday on something that's been circulated on social media, talking about church, talking about community, what does it mean, and talking about consumerism in the church. And this quote, Christian maturity isn't marked by how much we know or what we can get. It's marked by how much we love and how much we give in light of how deeply we've been loved and how much we've been given. So talking about the fact that lots of people can move churches or looking for a better worship experience or a better friendship experience or a better teaching experience or whatever else. And he's saying that, that, that will kill the church and that's not mature. What maturity is isn't about what you get. It's about what you give because you've been loved. That's the point. This is so, so important. Because when we talk about what community, you know, the very thing that many of us can find hard in terms of our overfull schedules, in terms of demands from work life, family, school, union, everything else, you think, hang on, I've got to love others in the church. I don't even know what to talk to them about. They're so different, or this, or that. You don't start there. Let him love you. Be rooted and grounded in his love because that gives life and energy and that comes to overflow. Vision for 2017, it's this, to be rooted and grounded in his love. Yes, a love which brings comfort and peace. Yes, a love that can make you tingle, if you like that kind of language. It's meant to affect our feelings. That's love. And imagine on our wedding day, Heather and I, Heather walking down the aisle, I'll never forget that moment, stunning. And there wasn't any emotion. There wasn't any sense of romance. There wasn't any, it was just kind of matter of fact. Do you take this one? Yes. Anyone here got any reason? No. Having to hold? Yes. Let's go and get dinner. And that wouldn't be love, would it? All the contracts there, all the theories there, all the laws there, but sometimes we can reduce God's love to that. Just a dry theological statement. That was meant to affect your feelings. When God talks about love, he means passion. All our best love poetry, all our best love films and everything else in literature are just a glimpse of the burning passion that God has for you. And Paul wants the church rooted in that. That you may be filled, last phrase, with the fullness of God. This is stunning. Shouldn't be finishing here, should be starting here. (coughs) Don't worry, I'm not going to. It's been 40 minutes, time to finish. Paul's conclusion in the prayer. The fullness of God. This is God's address. People want to know what God looks like, look at the church. People want to know where they find God, look at the church. What's the fullness of God? It's everything he's just said. His love, his strength, his power. That we would be full as God is full. What a prayer. What a vision. So of course there's more. Not more to be done. Not more to be attained. Just more to understand of what he's already done the riches, the inheritance, the hope, the security, the peace. That's what Paul's praying for. You wouldn't just be half empty. You wouldn't just come, meet in life groups, Sundays, fellowship over a meal, and then just be a little morsel. No, you'd be full. Your longings would be satisfied. You'd be overflowing. There'd be such richness, such revelation, such understanding of this incredible love. You'd be as full as God is. What a vision. What a hope. I tell you, it's that stuff that gets me up in the morning. It's that stuff which has kept me in ministry for years. 
by his grace and by his mercy. Not because I think the church is great, not because of all the overseas stuff, not because of conferences, not because of a next strategy, but what God has done in Christ that that's worth giving your life for. A kind of love as deep as this that the world knows nothing of that we could be full as God is full. So I want for my children, so I want for our marriage. <coughs> Heather will let you know I'm a long way off. But to be as full of God in that setting, to be as full of God in your classroom, to be as full of God in your desk, to know him there. Yeah, in our worship, we can kind of feel that we've touched it. But Paul's prayer is not about the meeting. That's not what he's talking about. There's not this sacred, secular divide. On a Sunday that you'd know the fullness of God. No, that you'd know the fullness of God where you live in your family and raising your children. How do we get it, Paul? Through being rooted in this love. I pray you'd have the revelation, says Paul, of how deep and wide this is. And then quickly, to him who's able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. That's pretty stunning, isn't it? Some of the stuff you're praying for this year, some of the stuff you're hoping for, increase it. It's easy for God. Doors which seem closed and you want them to be open, keep praying. God can open them. You may want to pause and say, God, is it the right door? And he'll let you know. Sometimes that's a confusing bit. How hard do I push in prayer? When you say, God, is this the right door? He'll let you know. He's not going to tease you. (laughs) Hey, Gabriel, Michael, look, they're trying to get through that door knowing I can open it, and it's the wrong door. (laughs) Sometimes we think God does that. God doesn't do that. It's all about love, remember? He'll let you know. Doors that are closed, he can open them. Financial provision, job change, relationships, he can do immeasurably more. That means if you're beginning to think, oh, do I need to pray twice as much or do I, need to multi- do I need to increase my prayer this much? No, immeasurably. You can't measure what God can do. There's confidence and hope in a time of uncertainty right there. Donald Trump, Brexit, politics, what else is going to happen? The advance of other religions, social uncertainty, legislation coming through that deeply challenges what we believe. How do you cope with that? How do you raise children with that? By a God who can do immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine. That's Paul's prayer. That's what he wants for the church. That's our vision in a time of uncertainty. Amen.